I'm so glad you found the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast. Our services have evolved over time to ensure we meet the needs of our community. So when it comes to our daily online group or individual sessions, make sure you check the website, btr.org, for our updated schedule and policies. Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Well, I record these and then it goes through a process of editing and then we transcribe them and then we put it on the website. So I'm not exactly sure today what the future situation will be with the coronavirus, but my prayers are going out to everyone who is affected by it, which is every single person. Those of us who are moms who are now dealing with homeschooling our children, while many of you are still being gaslit or emotionally abused in your home, especially with someone who is now home more. And so just the situation I'm imagining is very hard. And just know that my prayers are going out to you. During this time and always, Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is up and running. We have multiple sessions a day. When you join, you get unlimited live sessions per month. Our coaches are amazing. We have specific sessions for women who are considering divorce, women who are in their marriage and their husband seems to be making forward progress to the point where they feel safe enough to stay in the marriage. So we have a specific session with Coach Jean for women whose husbands are in recovery. It's great to join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group because you can get to know every single one of our coaches. See who you relate with. If you like the group, the group works for you. Stay in it as long as you want to stay in there. If you feel like you could benefit from individual sessions, you can see which coach you relate with the best. So when you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, check out the session schedule and you can join the very next session, which a lot of the time is within a few hours. We welcome you. We're here. We're live. And we're just honored to have you join. We love it when women join and can feel our support and our love face-to-face online. All right, today I'm going to talk about boundaries because so many women are confused about what boundaries are and how to use them to be safe. The purpose of a boundary is to stop harm. If you think about boundaries in the traditional sense, you've got a boundary line or maybe a fence, and it stops someone from coming over the fence. But if the boundary does not stop the harm, then it's not a boundary. It's not a good boundary or not a boundary at all. A boundary is not something that is an idea that doesn't work. So if you have a property line and someone can just cross over it, no problem. The boundary doesn't do you a whole lot of good. When I talk about boundaries, I want you to think of something that can actually stop the harm. If you then put up a fence and they climb over the fence, then you still don't have a boundary. So then if you put a lock on the fence, but they still climb over the fence, you still don't have a boundary. What can you do to make an actual boundary that stops the harm is the topic of today's discussion. Now, the reason why so many women are confused about boundaries is because traditionally speaking, therapists and other experts, I'm going to put in quotes, have set up boundaries this way. You set a boundary meaning that you state what you will or will not accept. So you'll say something like, I will not accept pornography in my home, or I will not be lied to. And that is your quote unquote boundary. And then if the boundary is crossed, then you have to enforce your boundary. Okay, that pattern of 
boundary and then a violation and then you have to enforce your boundary or then you have to hold your boundary is problematic. That is what so many therapists or coaches are teaching right now and it is not working for a lot of women. If that model works for you, shine on, right? Keep using it. But if you've been taught that model and you're like, this is hard. Now, how do I enforce my boundary? Like I quote unquote set the boundary. I said, I will not be lied to, or I will not be treated this way, or porn is not allowed in my house or something. And then it gets violated. And then you're like, what do I do now? If you're in that boat, I want to teach you a new model for boundaries that I think is way more practical that makes a lot more sense. Okay, so instead of thinking of a boundary as a statement or as a thing that you will or will not tolerate, I want you to think of a boundary as the actual physical or mental thing that stops the harm. So if the harm has not stopped, then think in your mind, I don't have a boundary yet, okay? So like I said, if you think, okay, my my property line is the boundary, but then the person just walks over it. Okay, you don't have a boundary. Okay, a fence is the boundary, but the person just climbs over the fence. Okay, I don't have a boundary yet, right? When that person stops crossing your property line, that's when you know that you actually have a viable boundary. Okay, number one, and you might want to take notes here. Number one, A boundary is something that actually stops the harm. If the harm has not stopped, you have not set a boundary. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to know. Because the whole point is for the harm to stop. If the harm hasn't stopped, then what? You're in the same situation that you were before. So we're just going to deal with actual practical things here in terms of how can you get to safety. Okay. So number one, a boundary is something that actually stops the harm. Number two, statements like you cannot treat me this way or I will not allow this in my home or whatever are just statements and they cannot keep you safe. And so therefore, they are not a boundary. With a coach or a therapist, if you're doing quote unquote boundary work and you're making a list of things you will or will not tolerate, you are not making a list of boundaries. What you are making a list of is safety issues. These behaviors help me feel safe. These behaviors do not help me feel safe. As you make that safety list, you can write down, number one, I don't feel safe with someone who uses porn. I don't feel safe with someone who lies to me. I don't feel safe with someone who is grooming me through like being kind to me when really they just want to have sex. I don't feel safe when this. I don't feel safe when that. You can write a list of that. That is not a list of boundaries. That is a list of safety issues. Many women need to understand what safety looks like. Many women haven't really gone into what would help me feel safe? How can I feel more safe? What behaviors are safe and what behaviors are not safe, right? So making that list of safety issues is key. You can write them down. You can even state them to your abuser. You could say, I don't feel safe when you try to manipulate me or I don't feel safe when I'm gaslit or whatever. You can say it or not say it. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that you understand what the safety issues are. You can state a safety issue. You can write it down. But you cannot state a boundary. Because if you just say my boundary is this, 
it doesn't make a difference. They can still climb over the fence, so to speak. I don't want anyone to think that if they make a list of things they will or will not tolerate, that that will help keep them safe from those things. It will help them identify the things that are unsafe, but it doesn't really help you be safe apart from just being able to identify it, which is an important step for sure. You have to be able to identify it to set a boundary around it, but making the list of safety issues won't in and of itself keep you safe. That list of safety issues, that's not a list of boundaries. That's just a list of safety issues. And once you understand what the safety issues are, then you can work from there to determine what actions you can take. They can be mental actions. They can be physical actions. What actions you can take to keep yourself safe. Number one, the point of a boundary is to stop harm. Number two, writing something down or making a list of statements or determining safety issues is just that. They're just safety issues. If you've made a list of things you will and will not tolerate, you have not created any boundaries. You've just made a list of safety issues. Number three, a boundary is an action. Now, it could just be a mental action. It could be like you close your eyes. That could be a boundary, right? It could be that you turn the other way. So it doesn't necessarily mean divorce or something, right? It can mean a lot of different things, but a boundary is an action that stops the harm. So let's take the example of the property line again. So you've got a property line, person keeps crossing it. So then you put up a fence. So then they climb over the fence. You still don't actually have a boundary because a person can still get over it. Then you put a lock on it, which doesn't really do any good because they can still climb over the fence. So then your next step might be that you call the police, right? You call the police and say, this person is trespassing on my property. The police come and they arrest the person and they take them to jail and they charge them with trespassing. That might stop it. Okay, so once the harm has stopped, you know that you have an actual boundary. That's what I mean when I say a boundary is action. If the harm has stopped, then you can be confident that you have an actual boundary. For example, blocking someone on your phone actually stops them from being able to harass you, call you, text you, things like that. Now, can they call from another number? or a block number or something like that. Yes, they can. But if you make a boundary that you will never answer a number that you don't recognize, then you'll never be caught off guard. Then they'll have to leave a message. And are they going to leave a verbally abusive message? They might. And then you can block that number and you can just continue to block numbers. Saying, I won't talk to him, just saying it, if he continues to lie and manipulate doesn't really keep you safe because then every single conversation he can lie and manipulate you, right? So if you notice that he's getting over the fence, then blocking it on your phone or blocking his email or deleting your social media accounts, that's an actual boundary because it literally stops the harm. That seems extreme. Uh, You could go for a a smaller boundary, like every time he says something, you walk out um, of the room, let's say. Or every time he starts stonewalling or just looking at his phone and refusing to talk to you, you get up and walk out. Does that stop the harm? I don't know. You need to know what the harm is. So if you have that list of things that harm you, then you can kind of assess, okay, I set this boundary, which means you actually took action. 
and it stopped. So let's say he's verbally harassing you in the car and you turn and you look out the window and he stops talking. Did that stop the harm? Is that a boundary? The answer to that might be, yeah, yeah, it did. It worked. He stopped in that moment. Great. You can say, okay, that's a good boundary. I'm going to continue to do that. Now, most abusers, especially psychological abusers, they're going to increase their abuse once you start setting boundaries. And so you can notice that as they escalate their abuse, you can escalate your boundaries. Another misnomer about boundaries is that a lot of the old school sort of model is that you come up with a boundary and then you tell the perpetrator about the boundary. So you say something like, okay, if you do not get a polygraph in the next three months, you will have to move out. And you think that that's your boundary. That is not a boundary. It does not keep you safe. It doesn't stop the harm. It doesn't do squat. All right. A boundary would be you need to move out and stay out until you do a polygraph. Let's talk about the difference between boundaries and benchmarks for a minute. A boundary is an actual physical thing that you do that stops the harm or a mental thing, right? You stop listening, you detach emotionally, whatever it is. A benchmark is something that you are looking for to know if this person is progressing. So some common benchmarks might be a polygraph. It might be that they start telling the truth. It might be that they tell their friends and family the whole truth and they don't lie anymore. You know, I don't know what your benchmarks are going to be for safety, but a benchmark is not a boundary. So if you say, I'm going to set the boundary of he cannot move back in the home. And my boundary is that I'm going to change the locks and he needs to stay somewhere else. If that's your boundary, that's fine. You might want to have some benchmarks for him moving back in. So you might want to think, okay, if he completes a polygraph, if he signs up for Center for Peace, just for example, I'm just using that as an example. Those are some things that I will look at in order to reassess my boundary. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't tell the perpetrator, okay, if you don't go to Center for Peace or if you don't do a polygraph, then you have to move out in three months. Because then when that three-month mark comes and he hasn't had his polygraph, then how are you going to get him out of the house, right? It's really hard. It might be hard to get him out of the house in the first place. But you need to set the boundary first, stop the harm first, and then look for the benchmark. Don't look for the benchmarks while the boundary has not been set. Or don't say, okay, I'm going to wait to set a boundary and hope that the benchmarks take place. No. No, 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 no. You will just put yourself at further risk. Now, you can decide in your own mind what the benchmarks are. You actually don't have to tell your perpetrator at all. You don't have to say, I'm not going to let you move in until you have a polygraph. You can just decide in your own head, okay, he knows about polygraphs. He knows about Center for Peace or he knows about this or that. He knows what to do. So I am just simply not going to engage unless he participates in some of these behaviors. If you're familiar with the 12 steps and you're looking for a step eight and nine, like full restitution, living amends, something like that. If he's attending 12 step, you don't have to tell him you can't move back in until this has happened. He can figure it out. He is an adult man. So you don't have to state every single benchmark that you want to see. Like, Expecting someone to be honest and take accountability and be humble and submit to the consequences of their actions, those are like literally basic skills. It is not rocket science. You don't have to lay it out for him, okay? You can say if he wants to step up and be an adult and be a healthy person, great. I'll let him back into my life. And if he doesn't, great. I'm safe. 
If you've set the boundary already before you look for the benchmarks, then you're going to be safe the whole time. This thing where you have to come up with your boundaries and then you have to tell the perpetrator, okay, my boundary is no porn in the house. And if you do porn in the house, then I will ask you to move out. I think that's completely backwards. If they use porn in your house, you don't have to tell them up front. You don't have to decide beforehand. If it happens, you don't have to give them notice. None of that. If it's a safety issue, you can say you use porn in the house. You now need to move out. So it doesn't go boundary, violation, and then enforce a boundary. That's not how boundaries work. Functioning, responsible, mature adults don't need to be told, if you lie to me, I feel unsafe, and so I am going to set a boundary. They don't need that. A functioning adult and a mature person would know that you shouldn't lie to people. So what we have, boundaries have two parts. Number one, a safety violation, and then a physical thing that stops the harm. So the way it works is safety violation and then boundary to stop the harm. You can take action and create a barrier to keep you safe whether or not he understands it. You don't have to tell him what it's for. You don't have to explain it. Nothing. You can just set the boundary and be safe. And then if he gets it, he gets it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It's not your responsibility to try and explain it to him. Like the things we want them to do, right? Be honest, not manipulate, not look at porn, not cheat. It's not rocket science. These are basic like skills that adults should know. So it's not your responsibility to have to explain it. If someone tries to make you feel like it is, that's simply manipulation to try and get you to communicate with someone who's not safe enough to communicate with. I was reading in the Book of Mormon this morning. And with the coronavirus, it's interesting because all this like apocalyptic sort of end of the world things people are talking about. And in 2 Nephi chapter 30, it's talking about the end times. I'm not saying right now is the end times. I have no idea. But in the scriptures, verse 10, it says, For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people, and the wicked he will destroy, and he will spare his people, yea, even if it so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So this division that we're talking about, where the wicked or the unhealthy, let's call it, are separated from the healthy, is prophesied throughout the scriptures. And I did a podcast about boundaries and New Testament scriptures that bring up boundaries. So if you're a woman of faith and you think, well, wait a minute, this lack of communication or separating feels bad, like my church doesn't teach this. That's not true. We've got evidence of that throughout the scriptures of In the last days, there will be a great division between the wicked and the righteous. And it's okay if you're seeing wickedness or unhealth in your own home and you're realizing, wait a minute, I need to separate myself from this. It's similar to needing to quarantine if you have coronavirus. I'm not saying you're wicked if you have it. No, that is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is even just with public health issues, it's a safety issue, right? If you have the virus, you need to stay separated from people who don't so you don't get them sick. Same thing with wickedness here. Again, I don't want you to think that I think that people with coronavirus are wicked or that they're sinning. So please don't take that from that example. But in the example of harm, separating yourself from the harm is important. Otherwise, you're going to be harmed. 
right? There's no other way to protect yourself other than the separating yourself from it. So when someone asks, what is a boundary? I want the answer to be a boundary is a protective barrier. A boundary is a protective barrier. It's not something that you can say. So if you're in a fight and you say to them, if you don't speak to me with respect, I'm not going to participate in the conversation, right? Let's say you say that out loud to them. You have not set a boundary, but you have identified a safety issue and you have said what you will do, but that's not the boundary. If you're in the discussion and they're not speaking to you with respect, the boundary would be actually walking out of the room. Because if you keep engaging with someone who is harming you, even if you keep telling them, please don't do this, please stop, but they keep doing it and you don't leave, you haven't stopped the harm. When someone asks, what are boundaries? What is a boundary? The answer is, it is a barrier that stops harm. It is a barrier that stops harm. And in order to determine what kind of barriers you need or what kind of harms you have in your life, you may need to write a list of safety concerns, safety issues. These are the behaviors I'm seeing that are safety concerns. These are things that I don't want in my home. Those are safety issues. That is fine. But writing that list, again, is not a boundary. So let me give you some examples. So from a community member, someone had an issue with do they interfere with their husband's recovery or not? Because he's not really going to therapy, he's, you know, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And the woman wanted to set a boundary and say, I only want you to have a male therapist. She wanted to request that. And so she, quote unquote, set a boundary and told him, you can only have a male therapist. Well, that's not a boundary because it's just a safety issue, right? She's concerned. She doesn't want him to have a female therapist because she doesn't want him to be alone with another woman, which is totally reasonable. So instead of her thinking, she set a boundary in telling him, hey, I don't want you to have a female therapist. Then how does she set a boundary around this? Like, what does she do? And so my response would be, it is totally reasonable for you to expect that your husband refrain from being alone with other women, including a therapist. What are you going to do to feel safe in that event? And she might say, okay, well, he did choose to go to a female therapist, so my boundary is going to be that I'm going to go stay with my mom. Because every time I see him, I'm so triggered that I feel unsafe. So to stop the harm, she needs to remove herself from the situation. Here's another one from our community members. Someone just found out for the last month her husband had been viewing porn almost daily or every other day, and it, she said it was so disappointing. Of course, all he could say was he was sorry, and she said, I know that he's sorry, but how does that change anything? And so a response with a boundary is, I'm so sorry that you feel sad that your husband's been using porn. What boundary would help you feel emotionally safe in your own home? Would it make you feel safe if he moved out? Would you feel safer if he slept in another room? Like what actions can you take to stop his actions from harming you? So using the BTR model for boundaries, we have two parts. Number one, a safety violation. And a safety violation is an abusive behavior. That would include lying, manipulation, gaslighting, porn use, extramarital sex, having affairs, whatever. Any type of abusive behavior. 
And then a boundary is a protective barrier, the action that you take to stop him from harming you. So let me give you an example. If someone is soliciting a prostitute in Brazil and you don't know them and you don't know the prostitute, is it, does it hurt society in general? Yes. But is it hurting you directly? Mm, you know, it hurts all of us directly, I guess. But, but no, right? It's like, mm. but if it's your husband soliciting a prostitute, that hurts you a lot, right? So it's getting enough space to say in your mind and in your heart that what he does is far away from me right? You're trying to push his behavior as far away from you as possible because that is what stops the harm. It's always going to harm you if it's really close to you. So whatever way you can detach, you can't control what he does. You can make requests, but you can't do anything about it. So how can you separate yourself from him so that his behaviors no longer harm you? That is the question. This new model is great because then nobody needs to quote unquote enforce the boundary and also the boundary doesn't feel punitive right with the old model where you go boundary then someone violates your boundary and then you have to enforce your boundary you have this sense of like oh no like I told him then he crossed that boundary and now what do I do right that's the main problem that everybody has so with that model it doesn't quite work as well as just the two-part model with a safety violation and then a boundary, because then you don't have to worry about like enforcing anything or you know anything like that. You have a safety violation. He lied to you. And then you do something to keep you safe from the lies, which might be that you don't talk to him. Because if he talks to you and he lies to you, the only way to stop that harm is to not talk to him anymore. There's no other way to do it. There's no way to get him to stop lying. The only thing you can do is separate yourself from someone who is lying. I am a teacher and I think this whole situation would be much better if I like drew it out on a whiteboard. But since this is a podcast, then hopefully you can visualize it. And there's a graphic on this podcast episode that you can go to to look at kind of the old school model that people use and this more practical model that will help you actually get to safety more quickly. If the old school model works for you, like shine on, go for it, right? But if it doesn't and you're still like, what is a boundary? How do I keep myself safe? How do I set a boundary? This new model of safety violation and then boundary will help you. So just to recap, a boundary is a protective barrier that stops the harm for you. He could still be doing the harmful behavior, but he can't do it to you anymore because you have this protective barrier. Is he going to hurt you? Yeah, I mean, like you can set this protective barrier and he can still do his harmful actions out in the world. And will it still hurt you? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, if he's lying to other people about you and stuff, it, it's still harmful. But the actual like harm to you is greatly reduced when you don't have contact. And then knowing that you can bring up and you can talk about safety issues, you can talk about safety concerns, but just talking about it or making a list doesn't help you much if you don't actually take some type of action to keep yourself safe. I hope that makes sense. I want to hear your comments and your questions. I want to hear your 
confusion, you know, about boundaries. We will be doing a Facebook Live on boundaries this week. So if you've listened to the podcast, maybe listen to it a couple times, consider it, write some notes. And then on the Facebook Live, write your questions and I will talk about them at that point. And we'd love to hear you. So make sure you follow us on Facebook at Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We are also on Instagram at Betrayal Trauma Recovery and on Twitter at Betrayal Trauma. I'm looking forward to that Facebook Live to interact with you there. You can also comment on the podcast episode on the website, which is btr.org. I always respond to those comments there and let me know what you think. For those of you who support this podcast on a monthly basis, thank you. Your support makes a huge difference. Please support this podcast. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom, click on support the podcast and keep us on the air. It makes a big difference. Also, if you're so inclined, please rate this podcast on iTunes or your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. Everyone is isolated right now, right? But we are online. Our Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is unlimited live sessions. When you join, you can get into a session within a few hours, generally speaking. So please, we'd love to see you in a session today. And until next week, stay safe out there.